If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 105 of the Leading Learning Podcast. For this episode, we're going to talk with Sherry Jacobs of Avenue M Group about a new benchmarking report she's authored on non-dues revenue and the important role that this type of revenue plays for membership organizations. But before we focus on Sherry's report, we want to highlight that it is one of a number of reports or white papers related to the association sector that have come out in the past year or so. As our resource for this episode, we want to link to four of these that we've discussed on the show. The first is the one we will discuss in this episode, which is Growing Non-Dues Revenue, a Benchmarking Report. And the three others are Member Loyalty and Learning, which we discussed in episode 102 with Amanda Myers, the Association Learning Plus Technology Report, which is our own, and we discussed that in episode 99. And then going back a little ways, the association role in the new education paradigm, which we discussed with Shelley Alcorn and Elizabeth Weaver Ingle in episode 44. So you can get a link to each of these documents by going to the show notes for this episode, and you will find those at leadinglearning.com slash episode 105. Or if you're subscribed to the podcast through iTunes, you will see the links right there in the show information in iTunes. That's just one of the many benefits of actually subscribing to the Leading Learning Podcast. Now, Jeff, you were the one who got to talk with Sherry about this latest report on non-dues revenue. Tell us, what did you cover? Well, first of all, I was, I was very excited to talk with Sherry. She's been in this whole membership organization world for a very long time. We bump into her from time to time in, in our work. Uh, very smart, very insightful in what she does. And then, of course, this whole topic of non-dues revenue is something that, uh, of course, much of our audience is very concerned with because traditionally education, meetings, events, those have been a big source of non-dues revenue for membership organizations. So, you know, really wanted to get into uh, why is that growing? Because the report shows that it is, in fact, growing. You know, is that a, a permanent trend? And we talked about, you know, how membership organizations look at their revenue streams in, in general and, you know, balancing out their portfolios to not necessarily be just about membership because, you know, a lot of uh, associations, for example, aren't necessarily created to be membership organizations per se. They're created with a specific mission. So, you know, how do you come up with new business models, new product lines that uh, support that mission, uh, but maybe aren't uh, all about membership anymore? So we talk about that. She talks a lot about the importance of financial modeling, you know, really modeling out how different products and offerings fit into your portfolio, um, about strategic pricing practices, which of course we're very big on, uh, about partnerships, how partnerships and sponsorship uh, can can play into things like non-dues revenue. And I would say even if you're not a membership organization or don't represent a membership organization, the concepts that Sherry covers in this discussion, which, you know, come out of this uh, report that we look at really apply broadly. I mean, if you're in the education business, you need to be thinking about financial modeling for your portfolio, about strategic pricing practices, about partnerships and sponsorships. So all of this is applicable. And of course, if you are a membership organization, then it's even more applicable, this whole topic of non-dues revenue. 
Well, it sounds like it might be what we could call mission critical. So let's listen to this interview with Sherry Jacobs. Hey there, this is Jeff Cobb, and I am very pleased to be joined for this episode of Leading Learning by Sherry Jacobs. Sherry is the president and CEO of Avenue M Group, a full-service marketing agency that has particular expertise in working with membership organizations. She is a fellow of the American Society of Association Executives, author of The Art of Membership, and also author of Growing Non-Dues Revenue, a benchmarking report. And that's a recently released report that we're going to discuss in this episode. But before we dig into all of that, Sherry, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jeff. It's my pleasure to be here. Well, I'm really looking forward to talking to you, and I'd love to start off with how you got involved in this whole world of membership, because I I know I've been involved in it for a while. I know you have. It's not the kind of thing that gets discussed, you know, during high school career day. People don't necessarily know that this is an option that's out there. So how did you get involved with membership organizations, and and can you say a little bit more about what you now do with them on a day-to-day basis? Sure. Uh, yeah, we all have a, a different journey that definitely is, is really planned. Um, and um, my, my background is and my interest has always been in journalism, um, communications, and, uh, and storytelling was, was way back in the day. Um, but I, my particular focus was photojournalism. And after working at a number of newspapers, um, I helped start a nonprofit where we taught photography to um, girls um, in the inner city as a means of expression. And um, they needed somebody to kind of uh, help launch the organization and do the marketing for the organization and get support and transition from there. Back in the days when you used to look in newspapers and find a job and decided that I would transition out of journalism and into the um, marketing and the nonprofit community. And the first position that opened up was at an association. So um, probably similar to other people's um, random stories for making that leap from one area to another. Um, but moving into um, membership is a, is a natural um, uh, segue um, because, uh, once again, it was trying to connect um, people to information, to stories, to sharing their stories, to helping them um, become more informed. Um, always had an interest in that, and um, membership seemed to be a natural uh, path to be able to, to pursue. And so now when you're working with organizations, I mean, you're, you're a consultant uh, primarily and, and helping them with their marketing, with their communications? I mean, what, what does your average engagement with an organization look like? Well, um, with Avenue M, we really just focus on three things. Um, the first is um, conducting, gathering market research. Um, and it can be anything from um, member and non-member um, surveys to um, surveys um, around your continuing education or professional development communication studies, um, or even industry studies. So we do a lot of market research. That's one area we focus on. Uh, the second in the day-to-day that we work with associations um, has really, and this area has significantly grown, which is um, financial modeling. So mm. it can be from dues restructuring or pricing of your education or your programs or your products. Um, and the doing working with associations to help them um, come up with pricing is essential because you cannot 
think about a new membership model in a silo. You cannot think about it as a standalone product. You have to think about its impact when you're restructuring membership dues, um, the impact on all other non-dues revenues. So we do a lot of financial modeling, and I would say um, anywhere between 30 and 40% of the work right now is in that area. And then the third bucket is consulting. So it could be strategic planning or um, consulting audits and assessments of you know, what, what organizations are currently doing to um, acquire and retain members. Right. And that, that's really interesting, uh, you know, that you mentioned things like financial restructuring and pricing. I mean, those, those are pretty sophisticated areas to be helping an organization out with, or I, I would think they are at least. Uh, I mean, it, it seems like, uh, you know, traditionally membership has been a, been pretty straightforward. Due structures have been pretty straightforward. I mean, I, I may be wrong about that, but I'm betting that, you know, over the over the course of the past ten to twenty years that you've been working with organizations, you've you've probably seen a lot of changes. I mean, is stuff like you know financial restructuring, um, you know, is that new? And, and and what other big changes have you have you seen in the the whole membership organization world? Sure, that's that's probably the biggest change that we've seen, and um, it's um, probably most people are familiar with this conversation either internally from a staff perspective or it's come up um, with their volunteer leaders. Um, and it's you know where, where I saw the change actually happening was about eight or nine years ago. So when the recession um, first hit, um, it a lot of associations were doing fine and people could still afford to be a member. It wasn't necessarily, can I afford membership? Because membership for a lot of organizations isn't that high. What became the question for many individuals was, um, am I using this membership? Am I, do I use all the benefits with this membership? And they started, people started reevaluating where they were spending their money. Um, second, we saw changes in the workforce. Um, and in healthcare, there's some obvious changes. There are a lot of uh, physicians that used to go into private practice and now becoming employees. And as institutions are making some of those decisions around what they'll reimburse, they're more likely to reimburse education than to reimburse membership dues. Mm. Um, so that was driving it. And then, um, and then, you know, there's been a lot of discussion around um, younger professionals, millennials, and um, them not necessarily being encouraged by their mentors or program directors or others, you know, supervisors that they need to join. And so they're not necessarily getting that encouragement. And as they start evaluating the value proposition, they are a little bit more hesitant. And um, so the old membership structures that were a one-size-fit-all um, that worked very well in the past. It's kind of what got us here may not get us where we're going. Um, people started reevaluating and saying, you know, what, what are some other options? But at the same time, can we make it something that is financial, financially viable for our organization? Right, right. And you've already mentioned um, non-dues revenue as, uh, as being a part of that uh, and, and thinking about that restructuring and sort of how that relates to to membership dues, uh, and, and, and I'd like to dig into that, and particularly this report that you've issued recently on growing non-dues revenue. But before we really dig into the report, maybe could you, for, for listeners who might not be clear about it, could you briefly explain what, what non-dues revenues are, you know, and what really counts uh, as non-dues revenue for a, a membership organization? Sure. So um, non-dues revenue is really any pro- any revenue that an organization earns 
um, that that comes from a program, product, or service typically, or it can come oftentimes from sponsorship and advertising. So it's any kind of revenue source that is not related, directly related to membership dues. Um, and um, that the, the details underneath that has definitely expanded over the years in terms of what falls into it, as well as um, how organizations look at non-dues revenue from sources that are directly related to their mission versus those sources that um, may come from advertisers or sponsors and have no relationship to their mission. So um, it, it is, um, you're right, it is a very uh, somewhat more complex issue, what is non-dues revenue, um, but I think it is um, it is probably a, an essential component for any organization, and I'll tell you why, Jeff. It's because every association um, offers things or does things that they cannot charge for. So for some, it's practice guidelines. For others, it's advocacy. Um, for some, they may subsidize different things that they offer because that's part of their mission. Right. And Therefore, they need to earn money. They need to be profitable and find other sources of revenue um, in, um, that, that connect back to their mission and make sense for them. Um, but it's essential that they understand pricing and how to be profitable in other areas so that they can um, provide some of the services that they're structured to the reason they were created. Right, right. And I, you, you've mentioned you know, sponsorship and advertising quite a bit. I, I, I imagine, too, one of the biggest non-dues revenue sources traditionally has been things like the annual meeting um, conferences, which I, I know uh, definitely attract sponsorship, but also attract uh, fees that people pay to, to come to those events. Um, are, are those kind of the biggest areas, those conferences and events and then, and then sponsorships and, and advertising? It is, plus one more. Um, so, you know, what our study revealed, and, and this wasn't really a surprise, is that um, com- in-person conference and trade shows still account for the uh, a vast majority of revenue, of non-dues revenue for associations. But actually, um, and this, when I say it's the number one, I don't mean it by it brings in more money than anything else, but that it is um, the most common source of revenue for associations we found were also job boards. Uh-huh. So um, we found that 87% of the associations Associations um, that participate in the study um, receive um, non-dues revenue from their job board. That doesn't mean that the job boards um, create more revenue than in-person conferences. <laughs> it's just a very it's one of the most common. And then also mailing list rentals as well. Right. So mailing those three those three items: uh, conferences, mailing list rental, and job boards are the three most common sources of non-dues revenue. Gotcha. Okay. And so, and you've got this data because you've gone out and, and done the survey and that it forms the basis for this growing non-dues revenue report. Um, is, is this the first time you've, you've done this particular report? It is. And um, it really came about because, as I mentioned, we're, we're doing so many more uh, projects where organizations are saying, help us restructure our membership dues. Um, and as we dig into it, um, one of the key components to figuring out a, a, um, a due structure that's going to achieve their goals, and their goals may be different. It could be, you know, revenue, it could be growth and membership, and, you know, it varies. Um, but as we were starting to work on that, um, a key component to that is um, what other revenue comes in and what would you bundle or not bundle with the membership. And um, as we started looking at this entire, the entire financial model for associations, um, non-dues revenue kept reappearing in mm. the conversation. And um, we, as we 
discussed this, and we started getting some clients who asked us to find out what are other organizations doing to uh, to um, to find a more balanced portfolio, um, financial portfolio. Um, and as those requests came in, we we discussed as a team that it might be a good idea to collect some data from our our friends and colleagues in the association community. So, um, put together the study and. And launched it, and um, really, really pleased with the uh, the first year and the response rate. And so you had, uh, if I remember correctly, about two hundred organizations that uh, participated in it. So pretty good sample that uh, you got to respond. And it seemed like the biggest headline that came out of it was that almost half of those organizations that participated uh, anticipate a higher percentage of their budget for. 2017 will be attributed to non-dues revenue. So this is this is a growing area, and you talked about things like you know, kind of balancing the portfolio, just being able to find other revenue sources. I mean, is is underlying this uh, a concern about membership dues and and what's going to happen with them over time? For some, um, not for all, but for some, there are certainly organizations out there that are they're experiencing growth. Um, for a variety of different reasons, um, but certainly there are some that are seeing um, uh, changes in the market that are impacting membership. So just last week, I was with uh, an association, and they talked about um, private equity that's coming into their space. And due to that, and due to a number of mergers and acquisitions, and this is a trade association, um, there you know when you when you lose one um, member in a trade association, you know that could be two hundred fifty thousand dollars. It can have an impact. Um, so some of it is external forces that are, um, you know, uh, creating an environment where membership is just decreasing. It's not necessarily what the organization is offering or what they charge. Um, in other cases, you're seeing um, membership is fine, it's growing, but organizations are looking at diversifying their portfolio and um, looking at reach and saying that in order to achieve our mission, it is not um, should not rely as heavily on membership. Memberships could be just a product, but rather to achieve our mission, which might be to eradicate, you know, a disease or to, um, you know, um, inc- increase the professionalism or inform the profession. Um, they are going to focus now on how do we reach all the individuals in this profession. Um, and so there's an increased focus on what programs, products, and services are we offering and where can we get some revenue from those sources. And is that, do you see that as, a, as an overall uh, trend? I mean, is this, you know, trajectory, I guess it's coming out of the 2017 report. Uh, does it seem like a long-term trend where eventually organizations are going to be just looking at membership as kind of one product in their portfolio? And, and it may be that, you know, eventually non-dues revenues surpass uh, membership dues revenue for uh, a lot of organizations, if not most organizations. Do you see things headed in that direction or is it too soon to say? It's probably too soon to say, but I wouldn't be surprised if it did happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, you know, it is, and that's not a bad thing because I, I, I do think that um, for most organizations, if they go back to why they were founded, what's their mission, and even as they look through their strategic plan, they, they, they realize that the reason they exist um, is not, the word member is not necessarily a key component for that. Right. It is usually about the profession or the individuals that serve in that profession or the companies there. And um, as they think about that um, and the conversation starts changing um, and they start going down the path of identifying 
um, pro- programs, products, and services um, that can provide real value and is, is relevant to their market, mm-hmm. um, they, they have to make investments in that. And as they make those investments, um, it's not a short-term commitment. So, you know, if you give the example of uh, virtual conferences or um, reinventing your your, your um, in-person conference and creating something completely different or whatever it might be, there, that requires an investment. So it can't be a short-term strategy. So that's why I think that I would not be surprised um, if we continue to see this trend towards an increase in non-dues revenue, um, as long as it's related to the mission of the organization. Right, right. And, and based on some of the things you just mentioned there, that's a, that's a good segue into focusing in on the area that probably matters most to leading learning listeners, and that's you know education and learning as sources of non-dues revenue. What, what do you see as the the biggest potential growth opportunities in, in those areas? Yeah, I, I think that there are, I don't know if there's one big one, but I think there are a number of different areas that organizations can explore. So um, one is, um, and, this, and this isn't in a prioritization, this isn't in any particular order, um, but one is um, there, there actually is a lot of opportunity to um, to bring in more sponsorship and advertising dollars um, from the vendors who are working in the space by thinking about um, designing packages, programs, opportunities for them to achieve their goals, and they'll be more likely to come and invest in your um, in your programs and in your events. I think that's a critical component because um, it, whenever you're you're thinking about designing an educational program, um, you've got you know you've got the revenue and the expenses, and um, if you want to attract the the attendees or the participants. Um, part of it, they're going to look at the value proposition, and they're also going to look at what they're willing and their ability to pay. So in order to bring down potentially some of those costs, um, organizations, at the same time they're focusing on creating new programs, they also have to focus on how are we going to attract um, the sponsors or advertisers in today's environment, and what is it that they need, and how can we be more creative in that approach. So I think that's an area where that's going to be an increased focus um, and opportunity. Um, and then second is, and again, this isn't, um, you know, more or less important, but um, the, the the there's a growing need, and it, it's always been there, but I want what I want when I want it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just simply... Um, you know, it's uh, the in-person conferences and events are fantastic. We they will always have a, a value and a need for those. Um, but I do see a growing trend towards um, being able to provide more web-based, mobile-based um, education um, that's more on-demand um, or and interactive and using technology as it as it becomes available. And um, again, I think that's a, an area that organizations are going incre- to uh, increase their investment in, um, as they should if they haven't um, already done in that area. And you mentioned in the report that uh, you know, even though the uh, adoption of them so far has been small, that the revenue from virtual conferences does actually appear to be growing, and, and also that the webinars uh, are, are you know, growing in popularity and that those are producing revenue. So I, I assume we would potentially see you know, continuing growth in both of those areas. I, I would agree. Um, I, what I've seen... From the data and the study that while well, it's a small um, population that is that is has successfully successfully built some virtual education conferences and trade shows, 
um, not only do I think it's growing from the data and the report, but anecdotally, as I look back over the last five or six years, and a lot of organizations were very eager to jump into that space, um, and that's fantastic. They might have been the early adopters to it. They, it, they may not have hit their target goals. They mm. may not have seen their members or their customers or others within their community immediately jump onto this. Um, but that doesn't mean that it wasn't a success or that it is not a successful or a, a good option for them. It, it's just something that I think needed time to, to um, for sometimes just for your community to catch up and to, to get on board with. Um, but it, I, I would expect that um, there's going to be growth in virtual educational conference and trade shows. And any of your listeners who have tried it in the past and did not find success with it, um, I would encourage them to investigate again and, and look at the feasibility if it's something they can offer again, because I think that there's opportunity there. No, I think that's a very important message because we've we've been tracking virtual conferences for a number of years to see what the uptake has been like, and um, you know have expected them to grow a little more rapidly than they have, and we still only see about a third of the organizations who participate in in our surveying doing a virtual conference. Um, most of them are doing webinars, but they may not be generating much revenue from webinars, and I think you know the, the sponsorship opportunities in particular could be capitalized on more there. And and I'll also note since this is you know near and dear to my heart as a podcaster that uh, uh, that there are revenue opportunities with podcasts. You've actually, you saw some of that in the report as, as well. Is that correct? Yeah. I, you know, I, really almost anything that is connected to technology, I think that there are not only revenue opportunities, but I think there's going to be growth in the next, you know, two to three years. And it may even be sooner, maybe 12 to 18 months. Um, whether it's mobile app advertising, it's podcasts, um, it is sponsored, you know, video podcasts, like you mentioned. Obviously, video is going to increase. Um, I, I really believe that um, as organizations um, better leverage the technology to get the education and the information out there into um, in, in ways that people can um, can learn, can um, obtain the information they need when they need it. Um, I, I think there's tremendous opportunity and probably going to be um, some growth there. So if you're working in an organization that, you know, is seeking to grow non-dues revenue and, you know, particularly if you're in the, in the education and learning role there, want to be a champion for the organization, um, what are some steps to start taking today that are going to help to ensure that you're going to get that non-dues revenue success tomorrow? You know, I think it really does start with um, uh, a couple of different parts of it. Um, one is... Um, looking at the um, doing some real financial modeling around um, the the marketplace, the size of the marketplace, what is the right pricing, what is the um, uh, competition in the environment out there, what else is being offered, what is unique about it. You know, we've built decision trees for clients um, to help them go through this process and think through, you know, how can we price this in a way that is going to either attract the largest audience um, and um, and then they'll come back to us for, for other um, education. So I think understanding the financial model is, is one key step. I think the second um, is to... Um, is to look with your vendors, your partners out there, and to find the um, – there's probably a number of um, uh, partners or sponsors or vendors, whatever they want to be called, um, that are looking for ways to connect with your audience. And um, 
starting to have conversations with them to develop a package, a sponsorship package that's not just a one-off, but will provide them with the opportunity um, where they will have increased exposure to them in ways that are meaningful to them, the right audience at the right time that will also connect technology and, and um, connect them to the, that audience. So I think that's also going to help support it. So when you're building out that those programs in the future, I think it is looking at the financial modeling and the pricing of it, the technology platforms that you're using, um, and the the vendors, the the partners that can help support it. I think those three are three key components. And then finally, obviously, it's you can build the best program in the world, but if you don't put a marketing budget behind it, people aren't going to come. <laughs> and I say that when we do membership restructuring. I'm like, the best new membership dues model will not succeed unless you um, support it and you provide the right kind of marketing communications around it as well. The, those are great points, and they, um, and they tie in extremely well to what really is our major theme uh, at Tagoras and at Leading Learning, which is, you know, really thinking about learning from the perspective of being in the business of learning. So you, you do have to think about things like financial modeling. We found that we've been doing more of that and working with uh, clients in, in recent years and, uh, you know, working with your sponsors, really thinking about that business perspective. But then obviously at the end of the day, being able to deliver the, the learning that uh, that your, your members and your broader audience expect. And you know, speaking of you know delivering learning, getting uh, getting the learning that's expected. This obviously is a is a show about learning. It's a show about people who who lead learning and help them to do that. And we do always like to make sure we ask our, our guests uh, when they come on about their own ex- experiences with learning, their own you know personal learning practices. So you know, as we're starting to to wrap up, uh, uh, what's been a very interesting conversation today. I want to ask you, you know, what what is one of the most powerful learning experiences that you've been involved in, um, you know, as an adult since finishing your formal education? You know, that's a good question. And I think it's, there's been a couple over time. So it depends on at what point in my career. Um, And I think as I shifted in my career from photojournalism into nonprofit marketing, into research and consulting, there's, there's definitely been different points. So um, I can, I can, I can give you one example, but it may not be the the most, the most powerful. Um, But, you know, I think back to when I went outside of my space, which, you know, research, consulting, marketing, association management, um, and attended one of my clients' uh, conferences um, as an attendee um, and uh, went there and, and, and we're doing other work for them, but they had a completely different um, focus than the area that I focus on. And that learning experience, learning from others that I saw the information they were sharing was transferable to my field, um, was a very powerful experience, um, is to just take a step outside of your own space and to to learn from others and how they're addressing um, similar problems. Because it, you know, what I have found in working with more than 100 associations from the neonatal nurses to the funeral homeowners is that um, most, organiza- most um, professions um, have similar challenges. The people that work in the professions have similar challenges. And so you really get some great education and opportunities and experiences from um, going outside of your own community and, and attending a conference in a completely different one. That's that's a great example, and I think it's uh, something we do. You know, often don't push ourselves to do enough is to, is to really step into those spaces that aren't our familiar spaces, and, uh, and and seeing what lessons we can draw from it. So thanks thanks for sharing that. 
So we'll include a, a link uh, to Growing Non-Dues Revenue, uh, your, your report, uh, in, the, in the show notes for this episode, um, as well as links to, uh, to your books. Um, in addition to those, uh, if, if listeners want to know more about you, more about your work, and, and just be able to connect with you in general, where should they go for that? Sure. Thank you. Um, well, they can always go to avenuemgroup.com. Um, and find out more about Avenue M Group or about me, or go to ASAE um, as well. Um, I've written a number of articles for their magazines and the books that you mentioned, and um, there's always links to me on there as well. So um, I'm always happy to have a conversation, a phone call with somebody, and I appreciate the opportunity to be on the podcast today. Well, great. Well, thanks so much, Sherry, for the, the conversation. Thank you, Jeff. That wraps up our interview with Sherry Jacobs. To get show notes for this episode, including links to the various reports that we know are of interest to many listeners, you go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 105. While you're there, you'll see the various options for subscribing to the podcast. And if you are getting value out of leading learning, we would be truly grateful if you would subscribe. We would also be grateful if you would take just a minute to give us a rating on iTunes. To do that, go to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes. We really appreciate that. It makes a world of difference in helping others find the podcast. Finally, consider telling others about the podcast. You can simply send out a tweet to do that by going to leadinglearning.com slash share, and that will actually pop up a tweet that's pre-filled with some language, and all you got to do is hit the tweet button, and it'll go out to the world. If that's not your thing, if you don't like tweeting out to the world, just take that language, put it into LinkedIn, put it into Facebook, walk down the hall with it, whatever, but get out there with that language and tell people about the Leading Learning Podcast. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.